Abolition. Abolition. People are fearful of crime, so whenever one is charged with a crime, a lot of time it doesn't make a difference whether or not this person is innocent or guilty. They feel some people feel, and I've heard jurors say, "Well, this individual here, they must have done something." This is a type of mentality that is cultured. I mean, it is you know nurtured in, in, in the American society. I think while we focus on the condition of confinement, I think the bigger focus is on prison. I think we have to begin to see prison as being a tantamount or equal to slavery. I think people in the United States need to know that uh, the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery. Instead, the 13th Amendment, you know, if you read the word and it says slavery and involuntary servitude shall exist on these shows except one who has been duly convicted of a crime. How many people who have been duly convicted of crime but who are actually innocent? But as long as we have prison, slavery reigns.
Abolition. You just heard Robert King of the Angola 3, and that was followed by Javier Mighty 13. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Mountain, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archive podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Brother Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, right here where the Civil War began. So last week we were joined by members of 13th Forward to discuss the No Slavery in New York Act. That's S-225 and A-3412, the New York Anti-Slavery Bill. Our guests were Jesse Kokla, statewide director for ending mass incarceration at Citizen Action of New York, and Wilfredo Laraquente, 13th Forward campaign leader, educator, and formerly incarcerated advocate. This week we are joined by political activists, former member of the Black Panther Party and the Liberation Army, who served 49 years in prison. He's a 13th Forward Coalition member, none other than Jalil Muntakim, to discuss his trials, tribulations, and journey that led him to the slavery abolition. Of course, we'll have powerful, inspiring music, and as always, we'll bring the voices of the ancestors back to life for a new generation in our Bridging the Gap segment. So before we jump into tonight's topic, Max, how was your week, brother? Well, my week is always busy, but there's some moments that have popped up um, that I did want to mention. And also, in regards to the opening clip, of course, that was very powerful with Brother Robert King and then Havaya Mighty. Uh, Robert King asked a simple question saying, you know, how many people in these prisons are innocent? And we can even answer that to a certain degree. It's been found that as much as 2 to 10% are innocent. So we're talking as many as 240 million people. That's just, you know, the prisons uh, themselves, state and federal, not necessarily the jails, but 240 million people, I mean, 240,000 people. We went mm-hmm. to war for less than that. Um, also, uh, the NAACP just put out a travel advisory about Florida. They're like, you don't want to come to Florida. This is racism central right now with this governor. Uh, that's pretty amazing from the NAACP. And uh, right. my heart's Hearts and, and our prayers go out to people in Mississippi who were hit by a sure. devastating tornado out there. Um, amazing. Just blew up entire towns, man. Mother Nature don't be playing. Uh, our hearts and uh, our prayers go out to the victims involved in that. So, yeah, man, it's just been a, a crazy week all over the world. So close to nuclear war, you can almost taste the radiation in the air. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's been crazy. Right. It's, it's really uh, crazy. And one one other announcement, you, you reminded me of it. On December 17, 2007, the U.N. General Assembly designated March 25th as the International Day of Remembrance of the Victims of Slavery in the Atlantic, uh, Transatlantic Slave Trade. The, uh, this commemorates the day in 1807 when the House of Commons and the House of Lords passed the Abolition of the Slave Trade Act. On March 25, 2015, 
the U.N. unveiled the permanent memorial called the Ark of Return. The memorial was erected at the U.N. headquarters in New York City to remember those who suffered and died during the slave trade. Seventeen million transported against their will, 2.4 million at least dead during the voyage. Uh, Amazing, man. Um, And it's mind-blowing because, you know, that went out for so long, that legalized slavery where it was done out in the open by industry and business and individuals. And now people act like they don't know what the hell that means, legalized slavery. Like, what? what is that, legalized right. slavery? Like, are you serious, man? You know, all they know is illegal slavery, which is already illegal. And for situations like that, you need soldiers and cops to enforce the laws that make it illegal. When it's legalized, as in practice by the state itself and the corporatocracies and the people, then you need abolitionists. Then you need abolitionists. And then you here need we abolitionists. are. <laughs> here we are. Here's the Abolished Slavery National Network and all of the partner organizations. And we're out here carrying what our great ancestors carried on or, or initiated. Still fighting the good fight. Yes, sir. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to our guests. So if you want to do the intro, I'll open his mic. Oh, absolutely. So, wow, Max. You know, I'm really excited about having uh, our brother Jaleel Montekim mm-hmm. on tonight. Jaleel Montekim was released from prison to parole on October 6, 2020, after being confined for almost five decades. Five decades. Jalil is a veteran member of the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Army. He's also uh, the co-founder in 2018. I'm sorry, in 1998, he co-founded the National Jericho Movement to Free All Political Prisoners. During his time in prison, Jalil received certifications in office management and architectural drafting and college degrees. He received the Bachelor's of Art in Sociology and Bachelor of Science in Psychology. He mentored other prisoners and resolved numerous prison beefs. He stood by his principles and maintained the highest level of discipline, integrity, self-respect, and respect for others. Jalil's activism never ceased and is unquestionable. He has consistently provided movement leadership and guidance under the worst of conditions behind concrete and steel bars. Jalil is the author of We Are Our Own Liberators, Escaping the Prism, Fade to Black, and his essays, have been published in several books, magazines, and newspapers. He continues in human rights activism and movement building in the fight for the release of the remaining national liberation and civil rights era political prisoners. While in jail, Jaleel called for the establishment of the In the Spirit of Mandela Coalition, the major historic initiative that on October 25, 2021, the International Tribunal, International jurists found the U.S. corporate government guilty of the charge of genocides against black, brown, and indigenous peoples. The struggle continues. The fight continues. His journey continues today here on Abolition Today. Welcome, Brother Jalil Muntakim. Assalamu alaikum, Brother. Wa alaikum assalam, Brother Guten's uh, uh, past, peace, uh, whatever your name, name, native language is, I greet you in peace and solidarity. I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak to your, your audience. 
I understand that you all have a broad breadth audience of understanding the, the circumstances for which many of us have uh, have uh, um, uh, evolved from out of the prison system. I'd like to also send my condolences for the loss of our dear and beloved comrade, uh, Eddie Conway. Uh, I'm sure he's yes. felt, uh, his loss is yes. felt across the country. Indeed, brother. Uh, Eddie Conway was a big loss. Uh, I've had a few interviews with him myself talking about the 13th Amendment over the years, um, and he was a good brother. Um, sorry to see his light leave this world, but his legacy will go on. Uh, and speaking of le- legacies, is it, it is certainly an honor to have you here today, brother. Uh, you have done some work, man. You know, I'm listening to you right. talk about uh, the organizations that you've either founded or led, and I'm like, man, I've been working with all of those. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> working with, with all of those. <laughs> well, uh, thank you. Thank you, Comrade. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate the, uh, the, the acknowledgement. However, that it's not just me. It's a bunch of us. You know, it's, it's those of us who are who sacrificed during the years, in our early years, and when we teen, you know, when I was a, a member of the Black Panther Party and a, and a member of the uh, uh, Black Liberation Army. And, and as a result of that discipline, as a result of those actions, as a result of those sacrifices, uh, while, while in prison, I continue to adhere to the ideas for which those organizations uh, were created. And so for us, uh, our, our goal and objective is to continue that struggle, continue the struggle for national liberation and independence of black people, brown people, and indigenous people in this country. And that's the reason why we engage in this, this process of, of struggle, because uh, we understand that we live in a system we have been navigating surviving the system of white supremacy for the last 400 years. And as a result of that, many of us have been traumatized, traumatized severely as a result of being engaged and having negotiated and lived and survived a system of white supremacy, whereby we have been considered inferior or less than human uh, in the course of our our trying to uh, maintain our own dignity and our own human rights, uh, who we are as human beings. Uh, So for me, uh, this is just a calling. It's a calling for, uh, uh, for not just for myself, but for our children. You know, when I was in the party, you know, I believe we were going to have revolution in my lifetime, and that didn't happen, right? So now I understand the revolution is generational, right? It is the course for which we have to be able to be in a process of willing to pass the baton to the next generation. But in, the, in, the, in so doing, we've got to have a next generation to receive the baton. And that's the course of our struggle today, right, to ensure that we have that next generation to continue this movement going forward. You know, I I thank you so much for that. You know, I reflect on, and I was having this conversation with Max through text earlier, when I think about the day that you were arrested, August 28th, 1971, I believe. And it was such a unique day because it was also – here, you got arrested in San Francisco right across the bay. They're having the funeral for Field Marshal George Jackson that same exact day. And I think about your history. Being incarcerated in 1971, we know a few weeks after your arrest, that's when Attica happens. And you spend the next five decades, you've seen from the inside what happens happened in the prisons from the growth all of these things, and I'd like to discuss a lot of this stuff with you this evening. So, okay. let me before make we jump into clear. that, yeah, sorry? Let me make this point clear in regards to my, my arrest. My arrest was a result of the, the murder of uh, of our dear comrade, George Jackson. George Jackson was murdered on October 21st, I'm August 21st, 1971. I was arrested mm-hmm. on August 
August 28, 1971, allegedly in, in an effort to retaliate against the death, the murder of our dear field marshal, uh, uh, Comrade George Jackson. And so for us, it's always important to recognize that as there have been times in our, in our struggle where we had engaged or had to engage the state uh, for their blatant murder uh, of our people. And that's where we need to be, need to grow back into uh, ensuring that uh, we save ourselves by defending ourselves. That's why the Black Panther Party, original name was Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. And, and so it raised the question, why self-defense? Because we've been under attack. That's the why our people have been under attack from day one. And so therefore, we always have to figure out the ways and means which we can defend ourselves, whether it be physically, uh, uh, militarily, or just politically and socially, culturally. We have to defend ourselves. We've always been in a defensive posture. And so for us, it's important that we try to change a defensive posture into an offensive posture where we're fighting for a true uh, liberation struggle, a true independence, uh, to, to divorce ourselves from a system of white supremacy uh, that has never been and never will be uh, working in the best interest of black people, brown people, and indigenous people in this country. I really appreciate that, brother. And, and this is why I want to play this track. It's going to be from some hey, of your comrades. Before you play the sure, track, I just wanted to make a comment. Uh, August oh, I'm 28th, sorry, Matt. August 28th also had a couple of other important things that occurred on that day. That was the uh, day of the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade, August 28th. It's also the mm-hmm. day that we formed the Abolished Slavery National Network. And with That's us, right. we have identified what this battle is. It's legalized slavery. always has been. Um, it never ended, even for a single day. Uh, immediately after the so-called emancipation and the 13th Amendment occurred, convict leasing kicked into high gear. Places like Alabama, where their GPD was based on slavery prior to 1865, was bringing in about 90% of the GDP based on slavery. Uh, in the 1870s, after slavery was allegedly abolished, as much as 70% of their, their GDP was coming in from convict leasing. And so criminalizing us, hunting us in the streets like wild game, capturing us, storing us for a profit, railroading mm-hmm. us through these systems in order to control our population as well as our advancement, all of these part of this structure of legalized slavery that has never disappeared. That's, that's a fact. And, and, and it's important for us to understand that in terms of the legalized slavery, right, uh, as you made mention earlier in, in this program, the 13th Amendment states that slavery and voluntary servitude uh, shall not exist except for those who have been duly convicted of a crime. And so what we find that there's the, the, the small print that we did not read when they, when they promulgated uh, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation and also the 13th Amendment in 1865. We didn't read the fine print. So now we're in the process of taking that fine print, that exception clause, and making it bold print. By making it bold print because we have, not, we have unfinished business in terms of ending slavery in this country. And as a result of that, as a result of the history of that his, the history of slavery in this country, we are considered, in terms of black people in the country, considered to be, continue to be considered less than uh, in, in terms of our human rights, uh, less than in terms of our, our, our civil rights. And so as a result, they have created laws, as they did after, after uh, 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 child slavery, like the Black Code. And after the Black Code, we beat the Black Code, they came up with what? Well, Jim Crow. And after Jim Crow, they came up with what? Mass incarceration, and that's what we're fighting for, uh, fighting against today. We're fighting against mass incarceration. Uh, very, uh, at, uh, on October 25th, uh, 2021, the international jurist found the United States guilty of genocide 
And one of the five charges that they found him guilty of genocide was mass incarceration. And so for us, it is imperative, it is extremely important that we end this system of penal slavery. Why? Because it is an incentive for mass incarceration, right? This is the reason why our community is being targeted or has been targeted and will continue to be targeted for as long as they can, can usher us into a system whereby they can reap profits from our labor. And that's what they've been doing, and that's what they continue to do. Now, in this instance, we have what they call the school-to-prison pipeline, right? That is deliberate. That is intentional. Why? Yes, they send our young people, they send our young people into these, these, these penal systems, penal slave uh-huh. systems, so they can work them and reap exorbitant profits from free labor, or these pennies on a dollar labor, right? And so for us, it is extremely important that we understand the dynamics involved with this here, but also the mentality and how that, how that transforms or how that traumatizes us and traumatizes our community. Our community has been traumatized by virtue of the existence of slavery in this country, right? And we've always been the target of slavery in this country. Mm-hmm. And what happens is that when we put these our young people in prison, 10, 15 years in prison, have been treated as slaves. So keep this in mind. Keep this in mind. Although we didn't know the law, those who kept us in prison, they knew the law. And they understood that they, who they were in charge of was, in fact, by state law, slaves. As the law states in Russell versus Commonwealth and also in Jones versus North Carolina, uh, prisoners Union informs us mm-hmm. that the state says that prisoners are slaves of the state. That's both. That's right. That's in the law. Right? And so they treat them uh, as that. That's right. And so when it comes home, when Just it comes home, if you don't mind, let me finish this point. When they come home, they come home traumatized. Mm-hmm. They come home traumatized by a system of white supremacy and slavery. Right? And they come home without any means or mechanism for which they can get back into social order, right, as a asset to the community rather than a liability. And as a result right. of that, as a result of this continued traumatization, it, therefore it traumatizes the community, right, because they go back into the community having experienced this kind of trauma, and therefore it, it, it is extended, it is projected into the community. And therefore I find our community continues to be under harsh surveillance, for the purpose of continuing the processes of ensuring that they have a system by which it's fed by our young people, by which it is fed by those who they ensure are unable to get a job or ensure they're unable to get housing. They ensure they're not having the proper clothing or food that they need to have in our community. This is deliberate. This is intentional, right? And so we have to understand that for us as a people, we have to divorce ourselves from a system of white supremacy. We have to divorce ourselves from a system that continues to to uh, uh, create a condition for us to be in a slave nation, a slave nation, when I talk about the penal system across this country, where you have uh, uh, 75 to 80% of the prison population is black and brown people. Why, Why is that? When we only were 50% of the total mm-hmm. population, we got a problem there. And for us not understanding that is that we're perpetuating our own trauma. Right, in, in, by virtue of our own ignorance and understanding the system of white supremacy and how it, is, how it has created conditions to, to continue to perpetuate slavery. The disenfranchisement of those who are formerly incarcerated is a perfect example of a point of interest in the 13th Amendment itself. And that is that it does not require you to be inside a prison to be subject to the slavery and involuntary servitude exception clause. Uh, You could be outside, uh, as in disenfranchisement shows where millions of people can't vote. 
or can't exercise rights everybody else has. Uh, so this mm-hmm. thing really, like you mentioned, school to prison pipeline, you can take it all the way back to the cradle up to the grave where it's constantly right. either in, uh, inflicting its punishment on us as a people or on our families who have to carry a large load of this, uh, and they never committed any crimes. And even a lot of the inmates who are inside right now, as we started opening up the program, aren't all guilty of anything. As many as 240,000 people are in there wrongfully convicted. Uh, It's just horrible, man. I know you want to get on your audio track, so I'm going to stop running my mouth and go ahead and let you introduce that for us, Brother Yusuf. Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm loving the conversation. I'm loving when he brought up the Jones versus Mayor and the Ruffin versus Commonwealth. You know, those are some of my favorite go-to uh, mm-hmm. cases to cite. Uh, but I want to play this track right here, you know, and we'll discuss it on the other side. The conversation has already gotten into it, but this is something I ran across on tick, not on TikTok, on Twitter. It's a TikTok video of of a brother by the name of Danny Collins, and it's called how Jim Crow works, and that's going to be followed by the late, great Lucky Peterson featuring his daughter, Tamara Peterson. I wish I knew how it feels to be free. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, and we're joined this evening by Jaleel Montaquin. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. A person of color in the United States during the Jim Crow era faced disenfranchisement second-class citizenship, barriers to voting, barriers to education, barriers to employment, and barriers to housing. Then in the United States, we passed the 1964 Civil Rights Act, the 1965 Voting Rights Act, that said that we can no longer do this, discriminate, based on skin color. What is the only label that we can legally discriminate against, that we can legally disenfranchise, relegate to second-class citizenship, have barriers to voting, barriers to education, barriers to employment, barriers to housing. If you guessed right, in 2021, convicted felons are the only people we are allowed to legally disenfranchise. Now, do you believe it's a coincidence that one in three African-American males now carry this label of convicted felon as opposed to one in 17 white males that carry this label of convicted felon to legally be disenfranchised? Let's look at what's happened between the Jim Crow era in 2021. We've had a 700% increase in our United States prison population. We've gone from 300,000 inmates in 1970 to 1.8 million today and as high as 2.3 million. So in spite of crime rate dropping, our prison population skyrocketed and it was because we had the law and order agenda. And the law and order agenda increased police spending but decreased our education funding. And by doing so, we created the school-to-prison pipeline. We also created the war on drugs, which we now know is a war on people. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In 1986, we passed the Anti-Drug Abuse Act, which differentiated between powder cocaine and hard cocaine, which we now know disproportionately impacted people of color. We also had the 94 crime bill with the Truth and Sentencing Act, which led to higher incarceration rates and harsher sentences for 
people of color. We need to take these people on. They are often connected to big drug cartels. They are not just gangs of kids anymore. They are often the kinds of kids that are called super predators. No conscience, no empathy. We can talk about why they ended up that way, but first we have to bring them to heal. And once I saw all this, my perspective changed. Because I know that Jim Crow era never ended. Racism never ended. It just evolved into what we now have as the new Jim Crow, modern-day slavery. I wish I knew how it would feel to be free. I wish I could break all these chains that's holding me. Well, I wish I could say
Welcome back to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. Today's guest is Brother Jaleel Muntkin. You just heard Danny Collins explain how Jim Crow works in today's uh, system. And that was followed by Lucky Peterson featuring his daughter Tamara. I wish I knew how it feels to be free. I'm going to go ahead and pass that mic uh, to Brother Jaleel. Any commentary? Yes, yes, I do. I, I, we all want to know what it feels like to be free. Uh, I think that's one of the struggles that we have to engage in. Unfortunately for some of us, some of us feel they don't even know what freedom is. Right? They don't know what it means to be free. Uh, they have been so acculturized and so assimilated into a system of white supremacy that they don't have any feelings of uh, whatsoever with regards to that, uh, the issues of freedom. That's how deep that traumatization that we have suffered in this country, particularly uh, black people, brown people, and indigenous people in this country. Uh, we have suffered to the degree that in some parts, and many of us, have uh, um, assimilated into the system and don't see no need for us to move forward or improving our, our social or economic condition uh, uh, for many. I'm not saying for all, but, but for many. And that's really something that uh, um, our dear uh, brother um, uh, Martin Luther King, in his, uh, his speech of the other America, made mention of, that he felt that perhaps he was, had led his his movement, his struggle into uh, his people into the wrong direction. He said he felt that they were moving them into a burning house, and therefore he's rethinking the idea of integration. Integration has not been to our best uh, interest in terms of black people in this country. In fact, integration has created the conditions for which we have to kind of divisions amongst ourselves, a kind of divisions that prevent us from having kind of unity that we need in order to fight the system of white supremacy and capitalist imperialism. And so, for us, how to be free? means how to be liberated from a system of capitalist imperialism, how to be liberated from a system of white supremacy. And until we have inculcated the idea that we are essentially a colonized people in this country, uh, we will not know how to be free. And so for us, our struggle is to rid ourselves uh, from this level of uh, neocolonialization. That means we have to engage in class struggle, right, and also rid ourselves of our conditions from which we've been colonized by a system of white supremacy. And if we do that, then we'll be able to ensure ourselves the kind of freedom that we actually deserve as human beings on this planet. Uh, we're not there yet. Uh, we have a struggle to go go forward. And one of those struggles is to end is to end the system of penal slavery. So by ending the system of penal slavery, we will be, we will be actually uh, uh, changing the whole trajectory of our struggle. We have to be able to... Uh, Ensure our people understanding the nature of the system from its most gross, gross, horrendous uh, acts in terms of uh, the continuation of slavery in this country. And so for us, uh, our freedom is based upon our struggle. And if we don't struggle to be free, we will never be free. If we don't free our minds, right, free our minds from the colonization, the trauma of our own colonization, we'll never be free. And so that's the process that we engage in right now. That's why this, this, this campaign, uh, 13 Forward, is so important because it essentially it creates a condition for which we begin the process of freeing our minds from a system of white supremacy and freeing our minds from a continuing uh, being uh, used as free labor in this country. You know, uh, one of the things that, that, was, uh, that it reminds me of, that song reminds me of, is uh, 1968, uh, prior to uh, uh, Dr. King being murdered, uh, he was in Memphis, Memphis, uh, Tennessee, for the purpose of supporting the sanitation workers, uh, the sanitation workers' strike, right? And one of the things that uh, that was uh, a part of that phenomenon 
was that the individuals who were part of that strike, the sensation Rocky strike, they wore a full-body placard, a full-body placard. And the full-body placard said what? I am a man. I am a man. I am a man. Why would they mm-hmm. need to have to do that? The sanitation workers uh, fight for better working conditions. Why would they have to subject themselves to wearing a full black card saying that I am a man? Why? Because the system has degraded and dehumanized and demeaned their, their existence as human beings. Now, 40 years later, 40 years later, we come up with a hashtag. What the hashtag says? Black Lives Matter. What was different from 1968 to 2016, 2019, or, uh, when they came up with Black Lives Matter, right? Same condition, same fight, right? And here we are today making these same arguments, same arguments that we continue to not be a free people, right? And so for us, it's important that we begin the process of decolonizing our, our thinking, decolonizing our minds, and creating alternative systems, alternative systems to the current system of oppression. And that's why one of the things that was being done or is being done, what we call a people senate. We're building toward a people senate after the after the verdict of the uh, 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 international jurors finding the United States guilty on five charges of genocide, being mass incarceration, being uh, the killing and mass uh, killing of our people by police terror, uh, the unhealthy uh, uh, health inequities. Why does white people live twice as long as black people in this country? Why is that? Why that should not be the case. But it is the case why we live in a system of white supremacy, health inequity, and also environmental racism. Why do our people suffer from the mundane, the, excuse me, the marijuana uh, illnesses uh, uh, like uh, heart disease, diabetes, uh, asthma, and et cetera? Because we've been corralled, our systems, our lives have been corralled in, into uh, areas that have been polluted, like industrial pollution, and et cetera. What happened in, in Flint, Michigan? Uh, what's going on down in, in, uh, uh, in Mississippi and in Alabama? Right, as a result of environmental racism, right, and also the, the, the idea of political prisoners, right? We have political prisoners in the United States, and no one is asked, or well, I'm saying no one. There are not as many people that we need to have arguing for the release of our political prisoners. And when we look at the cumulatively of these, all, these five charges that the United States have been found guilty of by an esteemed body of international jurors, we have determined that there's a need for us to separate ourselves from a system of white supremacy and capitalist imperialism. If we do not, they will continue to treat us as less than. All right? And so we we're building, we're now moving to what we call a people's center. And it's going across the country. If anyone wants to know anything about this, go to spiritofmandela.org and tap over to People's Senate and learn about how we're moving towards building our people's center across the country. Alternatives to the existing reality existing institutions that are supposed to be governing us. And this is why 13 Ford is extremely important as part of that process. Why? Because 13 Ford challenges the charges of mass incarceration. It challenges the system for which we have been, been held in uh, a continued uh, slavery. And so for us, moving towards the ending of mass incarceration means that we have to end the incentive for mass incarceration. Right? That means that we have to make the charge that our people inside these institutions have to receive minimum wage, have to receive minimum wage. They have to receive as a condition. We're going to change the, listen, we're going to change the narrative, right? Since prisoners is synonymous to slaves, according to the law, not what Jalil says, right? Not what uh, uh, other organizations, 14 Ford, section 4 says. That's what the law says. That prisoners is synonymous to the prisoners of the state, then we have to change that dynamic. We have to change the language. Right? So now we're not going to have prisoners, we're going to have incarcerated workers. 
We're going to bring these people back into the working class. Right? They're part of the working class. And so they should be provided all of the all of the the uh, uh, privileges, right? All of the uh, uh, um, safeguards of labor laws that should be provided uh, should be provided both on the inside as as they are provided for those on the outside. The labor laws, right? All the safety uh, labor laws, ocean labor laws, and etc. Right? This is our fight. This is our argument. And if we do so, if we win this fight, and I'm certain we are, seven states have thus far changed their laws. Uh, change the, the law to remove uh, compulsory labor and penal slavery from out of their constitution. And we're moving right now to make uh, uh, New York the number eight state to do so. But the point is, what I'm trying to make with this is, if we did this across the country, across the country, have a, a national movement to end penal slavery, right, we would be actually be challenging mass incarceration, right, and we challenge the condition for which our community is being targeted, our community being targeted for mass incarceration. Right, we take the financial incentive out of it, and we say that the money that that these uh, our, our brothers and sisters inside are are making, that money should go right back into our community. Right, uh, they can feed their families, they can buy uh, presents for their children, uh, they can deal with their uh, um, uh, child support and all the other kind of fines and fees that is laid upon our people that keep us in a a destitute uh, destitute uh, uh, economic situation. Did you know that many of the families who have a family member in prison go into debt. They go into debt, right, trying to ensure that their person inside are secured, right, in so many ways, right, and also because of the fact that one of the the uh, um, uh, uh, people who's bringing money into the household has been removed from the household, okay, whether uh, right. whatever crime or whatever violation they're allegedly have made, right, that's uh, money that was bringing to the household has been removed. And so, for we find that our community continues to be left in a condition of poverty, this is deliberate. This is not by happen chance, right? For, for, so for sure. Let me let me uh, give give uh, Max a chance to respond, and then I have some <laughs> yeah. some some responding. You you said a lot, you know, and it's yeah, like you know, I'm, I'm I'm very passionate. So we can so we can keep it keep the dialogue going because yes. yes. Believe me, yeah. you have three talkers yeah. on the line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I, I apologize. Listen, this is why you're here, brother. No, this is why you're here. Yeah, after my nearly 50 years in prison, right, nearly 50 years in dealing with the slave system, right, let me make right. this point also clear, too. In those 50 years, I never worked in industry, and I never worked in the mess hall. I refused, right? And many times I was put into uh, solitary confinement. And refusing to allow them to exploit my labor, I refuse to do so. Right? I'm, I understand I'm gonna put a, I'm gonna put a bookmark in that one because I want to ask about that later after I play a different okay. track. But first, I'm gonna oh, Max. You you get a chance to chime in. Yeah, I I, I did want to say something. Like you you pointed out a lot of symptoms. Uh, even mass incarceration is not a source issue; it's a symptom of a bigger issue, and that bigger issue is legalized. Slavery. You said that, you know, what is freedom? People don't even know what freedom is, and I agree with you. But also, they can't recognize slavery either. As I pointed out in the very beginning when I came in here, I'm like, people don't even remember what legalized slavery is. And we had it for 400 plus years, and they don't even know what it is. You go to these international anti slavery websites, and they'll start quoting Harriet Tubman, and uh, they'll quote Frederick Douglass, but they're not addressing any legalized slavery. They're only fighting illegal slavery. 
<laughs> you know, so, and they're adopting the likenesses and the words and the names of abolitionists who fought it legalized slavery in the United States. It was openly practiced, and that's what they fought to to end. And they're, they're, that's not even mentioned in any of their information. You know, <laughs> what we're talking about is the many badges and incidents of slavery. All of those things you mentioned are badges and incidents of slavery, which can be addressed once we remove this exception clause, because Article 2 of the 13th Amendment says Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. And over the years, they have done so to a limited degree. But without that exception clause, they really have the opportunity there. You want to say something? Yeah, yeah only, only thing more I want to add to that is the fact that uh, in terms of our struggle, uh, it's important that we understand that <clears throat> we have to divorce ourselves from this system of white supremacy. You know, the system of white supremacy is not, is not going to disappear uh, on its nope. own. And that's the reason why I, I raised the question of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and his rethinking the idea of integrating and assimilating. And that's the problem, one of the problems that we have, that many of us, or many of our people, have assimilated into the system. And so I, I just identify them as being assimilationists, right? those who will continue to cartel uh, to white folks, right? cartel to a system that in, in, in this very prim, primitive uh, nature is uh, uh, anti-black. Right, and that's the only way I can really look at it. Uh, the system is, for the most part, is anti-black. If they cannot, if they cannot, if they cannot exploit your, your labor, right, then for them, they consider us being expendable. Okay, and that's the reason. Another reason why, at one point in time, right, they said the black man in America was an endangered species. How can a black right. person? How can anybody be a dangerous species? Because the system is looking to destroy them, to neutralize them, right? And that's what we have been confronting. Uh, overall, uh, uh, here in, in here in the United States, and not only here in the United States, but all around the world, where black people are, we find ourselves as being a downtrodden uh, uh, and less than. Uh, in, in. So we have to really challenge the system of white supremacy. That and for and let me make I'm gonna make another point because I can just go on and on. But yeah, and, and, point. and one of the biggest challenges is abolishing yeah. slavery. That's absolutely. that's absolutely because that's gonna absolutely. that's gonna take the bloodline, the lifeline from it. And I just wanted to ask a question going back to the track that we played about how Jim Crow works because he was speaking so much about being able to discriminate based on a person having a criminal conviction after they come home. You know, housing, Mm -hmm. jobs, unable to vote, all of these things. And you yourself just recently had an encounter with this where when you came home, uh, you are at liberty to talk about that, right? Yes, like yeah, the case, yeah, yeah. I've read yeah, that you haven't been indicted, yeah. so it's done with. But you yeah. went to register to vote, and no, it was no, because that's, on the that's, on that's, the state's that's, website they said that you're on, you're. You might have it wrong. Let me say. Yeah, let me let me let me clarify that. Uh, I was released on October 6th, and they they took me they transported me right from the prison to my parole office. And when I got the mm-hmm. office, they put a they put a uh, a monitor on me, a, a monitor on my on my ankle. Right, uh, I had to wear that moniker for six for six months. That moniker uh-huh. for six months, and then they told me to go over to a DSS Social Services and get whatever uh-huh. benefits they have over there. So I went over there, I filled out the applications for everything, and in the back of the application they had a, a registration to vote. And so I filled right. out the registration, not knowing that that was not part of what my parole officer instructed me to do. All right, and so I filled out the registration, and about two weeks later they came to, came to arrest me. 
They came to arrest me. As a matter of fact, they did arrest me, and they charged me with violating my parole for having registered to vote. Now, I was the only person, only person in the state of New York who had ever been charged with registering mm-hmm. to vote illegally. Only person in the United States. The only person, no, not the United States. The only person in New York State that had ever been charged with registering to vote where they claimed to be illegally. That's ridiculous. That's because they didn't want me in, out here in the first place. That's why they took me back to the penitentiary. So that was the nature of that, that particular charge, and eventually all those charges were dropped. Right, I saw that. And it was just clarifying, not clarifying, but driving home the point that, the, that Danny Collins mentioned in his, in his audio. Like, you, you and many people like you and like me, I'm, I'm one as well. There are many things that I can't do as a result of a criminal conviction. So that we can actually be discriminated against for the rest of our lives based on a criminal conviction. Uh, so that's, that's what I wanted to discuss. But to carry the conversation forward, I have another track that I want you to listen to because you, you started talking about the conditions within the prison. And we know that at the time you were – a couple of weeks after you were arrested, Attica happened. And so I want to talk about – well, I'm going to play the clip, and then we'll have a discussion centered around that. But this is an yeah. audio clip of Richard, President Richard, Richard Nixon praising Governor Rockefeller for the Attica massacre. And this is going to be accompanied by Joyner Lucas's intro, Devil's Work. And it will be followed up by Willie and West, Attica Massacre, Soul Funk, 1972. You're listening to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. And our guest this evening is Jalil Buntakin. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. Michelle McGee, prison activist and jailhouse lawyer, still in prison for his political resistance. Slavery is something that is being... Abolition. 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 Newly uncovered audio recordings reveal President Richard Nixon enthusiastically... Sorry about that. Right track here. Abolition. Rochelle McGee, prison activist and jailhouse lawyer, still in prison for his political resistance. Try one more time. Rochelle McGee, prison activist and jailhouse lawyer, still in prison for his political resistance. Slavery is something that is being practiced by the system under the color of law. Slavery, 400 years ago, slavery today. It's the same, but with a new name. They're making millions and millions of dollars off of enslaving blacks, poor whites, and others daily. People who don't even know that they are being railroaded. George Jackson. The only way they're present can maintain his position is by fostering, nurturing, building contempt for the oppressed. The brutality leads to more resistance and that's what we're working for, revolution. The institutions uh, that buttress the the establishment uh, have to be assaulted. Hugo Pinnell, prison activist and leader, still in prison for his political activities and resistance. Well, I'm a a revolutionary in the sense that I believe that what the word means to change something, you know, in a big way. 
there's many changes that got to happen in order for the people on the bottom, the people like black people, Latinos, and you know, in the United States and throughout the world, I feel that there are many things that had to happen before we can get justice. Jalil, I want to pass to you first. 
Uh, one, you know, this this track is that 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 uh, documentary was from a few years ago. That's why they mentioned Yogi still being in jail. Yeah. But hearing yeah. your comrades and colleagues, you know, yeah. speak about slavery, resistance, and revolution, you have any feedback to that? Absolutely. Let me make a, a couple of points uh, here. First of all, um, uh, when I was in San Quentin, I was in the Justice Center. I used to lock right next door to our, our comrade Rochelle McGee, and uh, Pinnell uh, or Yogi uh, was about three spells from me, and so I was intimately uh, related to to those comrades uh, and, and their struggle. Rochelle is the longest held political prisoner in the United States as of date, right? And unfortunately, uh, my comrade uh, Yogi was murdered uh, by right. by state state sanctioned murder. Sure. Uh, sure. By three three. Uh, uh, um, Alleged uh, uh, white supremacists, uh, Aryan Brotherhood brothers, who which the uh, the state permitted them to to kill a yogi. Uh, uh, so for us, that that is a, a serious loss, uh, mm-hmm. and and it's a serious loss that we have not yet been able to uh, free uh, Rochelle, uh, who is actually innocent of the crime. Uh, the the court, uh, excuse me, the jury has voted that he was not guilty of committing the murder for which he has been charged with, but the court. The court would not let that verdict stand, and so he's in prison for something that he did not do, uh, or that he has not been charged, been found guilty of. A lot of people do not know that. Uh, Rochelle should have been out mm, 30 or 40 years ago, uh, based upon uh, actually almost 50 years ago, based upon the crime. Uh, in fact, when he went, when he got caught up in the situation with, uh, with Jonathan, Jonathan Jackson on uh, May, no, excuse me, on August um, 7th, 1970. Uh, he was in. He was in court. He was in court fighting for his own case. Uh, when um, Jonathan came into that courtroom, Marin County Courthouse, uh, right. and then he decided to leave with them when when he left with uh, uh, with the, uh, James McClain and William Christmas, uh, uh, two uh, revolutionary brothers that that Jonathan came in to free. And so for John, for for Rochelle, we should be a, a raising cry, a, a national cry uh, for his his release uh, today. Uh, and we should always honor uh, the sacrifices that was made by uh, Comrade Yogi. Uh, now, in, 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 in respect to the issue that you that you raised, uh, of course, the prison system has changed uh, drastically. Back in the day, when I first came into the prison system, um, uh, <clears throat> there was a movement going on. It was a reflecting of the movement that was going on in the street. Right, so many of those who came into the prison system had been or uh, had been uh, revolutionaries or conscious of the struggle for moving out of the civil rights movement, moving into the the Black Power movement that led to uh, eventually led to the issues of mass incarceration. Over the period of time, over the period of time, uh, they inundated the community with drugs, and therefore created a, a condition for uh, international warfare. Uh, between the, uh, the the tribes, the street gangs, the street uh, street organizations, and then the, we find ourselves being uh, 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 the prison system being mass incarcerated with those individuals, those individuals who have been turned from a revolutionary into a reactionary, uh, and so the prison system then began to reflect that example, where we had these uh, these these, these uh, street gangs and street organizations inside the prison system, and essentially removing the discipline. Removing the 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 the, the political and and I, I usually say philosophical uh, 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 reality uh, that folks inside prison was growing towards, and this is why Cointelpro, 
<coughs> excuse me, uh, began uh, what they call PRESAT. PRESAT was a FBI, a government uh, uh, investigative force to investigate what's going on inside the prison system to ensure that revolutionaries were not uh, uh, influencing the prison system. And they began to uh, uh, bring these, these, uh, these left, uh, listen, I'm going to put it this way, these ignorant uh, 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 young folks into the prison system and creating conditions where they can continue to be able to reap profit without resistance, uh, continue to, to uh, enslave without resistance. Uh, prior to those times, uh, prior to those days, uh, 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 there was resistance at prisons, and that's where we had Attica. Right? And also understand that Attica evolved out of a struggle that came out of Auburn. Uh, Auburn had the first protest uh, in, in New York State. And then what they did, they moved a lot of people out of Auburn because they had an Auburn strike to move them out of Auburn. And some of those individuals who were out of Auburn went to Attica. And when they went to Attica, they continued to organize in Attica against what they, uh, L.D. Barkley said was the, mm-hmm. the, the treating us as if we were beasts. And we're not, we're not right. going to be, be, be heard as beasts because we are men. Right? And so uh, ultimately what happened was that uh, – uh, uh, We'll play in about murdered. 20 minutes. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. The state murdered them. The state murdered them, uh, including murdering some of their own. Right, and so this is a a a, a, a snapshot of what we can understand in, in terms of our struggle and what we engage in right now. They have no elms, no no qualms about murdering people. Right, just as they did that young that young kid. Uh, 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 they shot him what 99 times, hit him 60, shot at him 100 times, and hit him 60 times. Shot a man six times. That's overkill, but not only is overkill, it's terrorism, and they terrorizing the community, informing the community that to what degree that they were murdering you, right? And so what we have here is a condition, or we are, are a condition whereby the system is trying to maintain us, black people, brown people, indigenous people, as subservient, subservient human beings uh, uh, in, in this country, and that's a part of the fight. And so that is the same resistance that we have, same condition we find inside these prisons across this country. Right, uh, 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 the, the, the struggle of our brothers inside California prison and the hunger strike, or the brothers down in Alabama and their hunger strike, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to establish their own humanity, uh, just a system that continues to try to ensure that they become subservient, become inferior, and less than. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, Max, you have anything? I see we have a caller. Yes. You have anything before uh, we bring the caller in? Yes. Um, when you went inside, brother, there was about 200,000 people nationwide who were incarcerated in prisons. When you came out, there was 2.4 million people. So you literally saw that occur with your own eyes. And mass incarceration, as we know it today, or at least what is called mass incarceration, really didn't exist in the English lexicon until around 2010 with the uh, publication of Michelle Alexander's book, um, when that came out, that's when people started talking a lot about mass incarceration. But you watch this, you watched that with your own eyes and existed in it while it was occurring. Uh, would you like to and say fought, anything about and that? Fought, and, and fought against it. Uh, uh, keep in mind that in 1977, I, uh, 1976-1977, I was in San Quentin, I started the first uh, national uh, 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 prison newspaper called Army Spirit. And at the same time, I... Um, Organized the first petition, uh, UN petition, uh, prisons petition uh, campaign to the United Nations to speak about the issues of mass incarceration, speak about the issues of, of genocide, to speak about the issues of uh, uh, conditions of, of prisons and political prisons inside the United States. 
So I've been engaged in this this battle uh, for well, five years, five five decades, or six decades, going on six decades now, right? Since the age of uh, actually the age of sixteen when I first joined the Black Panther Party. And so for us, it is important to understand that history uh, uh, and understand that we will continue to engage in this struggle for national liberation and independence, right? Uh, we have to continue to uh, challenge uh, those individuals who have assimilated into this system, uh, our petty bourgeoisie and bourgeois black nationalists, uh, 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 bourgeoisie uh, uh, in this country. Uh, so that's our goal. That's our objective of moving forward. And that's why we want to build what we call the People's Senate. Thank you, brother. Uh, we do have a couple of voices that want to join us. Uh, one of them is the brother that made this uh, interview possible, or not even interview, but conversation possible, and that's Brother Tag. Uh, I believe he's on the line now. And he's also one of the members of the In the Spirit of Mandela. Uh, 9917, you're on Abolition Today. Is that Tag? Oh, yes, absolutely. Peace, peace. Great to hear all of this. It, 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 peace to the abolitionists. Oh, Death to the oppressors. There it is. Hey, Dad, just feeling the discussion. Yo, I'm 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 well. I'm well and it just uh it, it feels like some type of kismet, you know, to, to hear you going into the, all all of this critical history and, and what it means to the present here on Abolition Today, you know, it's 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 a great uh, it seems to me that the abolitionist ancestors are smiling on on this whole uh, exchange, this whole dialogue. So just just feeling it a great deal. And uh, especially I just with your really... brother over there in Rochelle, right? I mean, uh, Rochester, oh, New yeah. York, where Frederick Douglass comes from, right? Oh, right. Without, without a doubt, without a doubt. And 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 one of one of one of the moments or or days that I I certainly will never forget was. Uh, being able to get up uh, with you, Brother Jaleel, and, and our comrades with about the people um, at Frederick Douglass's gravesite, you know, and just build in that way um, on on all of this history, the the present realities uh, that all of that concerns. So uh, it's 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 just uh, you know these these flavors these flavors should uh, should 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 watch out basically is, is is how I feel about it right now. And um, and as for the yeah as for the people's senate, just wanted to shout out that if if anyone is looking to get up at the people's senate, you can contact people's senate at spiritofmandela.org, and uh, that's the email for for the people's senate. And and Brother Jaleel already mentioned you know the website. You could go to Spirit of Mandela, and the, there's a people's senate link right there. So uh, yeah, just 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 fully uh, feeling the discussion as a whole. And I uh, just wanted to make sure that I was, uh, you know, connected up with y'all. Hey, Tag, hey, Tag, uh, uh, thank you, thank you, Tag. Uh, you need to, you, 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 you may want to uh, uh, listen to AP, APP Camp uh, uh, Luther King, because I think that's what we were doing mm-hmm. at the time, right? We were at the graveyard, at the graveside of uh, Frederick Douglass. Uh, we were recording uh, um, uh, Camp Luther King. Uh, it is a... Uh, a historic in your life, it's a historic uh, um, work that uh, Tag is doing as a as an organizer and as a, a motivator and in, in inspiring our, our struggle going forward and using the medium of uh, videos uh, as as a means for which we can uh, inform our people on a broader level uh, the nature of our struggle. I think you have another video coming out soon uh, dealing with uh, uh, Mumia. Yep. 
Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, just real quickly, and, and I believe that we, we had a chance to discuss some of the About the People work uh, here on Abolition Today uh, some months back, but just uh, so real quick, yeah, About the People, y'all, we, you can find us on YouTube. We have a, a channel on there. It's called About the People. Just search under channels. And um, we're also on social media, About the People. You could email us. But, yeah, the next feature that we're putting out is a special feature specifically focused on Mumia Abu-Jamal and where his current case is at, which is at a very pivotal moment uh, wherein his appeals could actually be opened up or his whole case could just be dropped. And it really hinges on this one judge, uh, Judge Lucretia Clemens. So we wanted to just make sure we could put some of that information out there, you know, in a compelling way, audiovisually, and uh, relate as best we can to uh, our black, brown, and indigenous youth especially. So that should drop, you know, any time now. Please look out for that. And uh, that's going to be a special feature on, on the Love Not Fear campaign to bring Mumia home. Hey, Tag, while we have you on the line, do you have any update on Dr. Fatah Stewart? the gentleman that's been on Rikers Island for about four years now without ever going to trial or anything. you have any update on him? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I'm so glad that you asked because uh, we really need the abolitionists out here, especially in the New York City or tri-state area, to support our brother, uh, Dr. Stewart. He, he is now off of Rikers, uh, so thankful for that. He's, he's not currently on Rikers, but he's still – uh, he's, he's actually facing trial right now as we speak. So that, that just started. Where, where is he? And, uh, well, he's, he's out. He's, he's, um, he's able to from, from Oh, so the outside. bail was able to go through. Great. The bail mm-hmm. was able to go mm-hmm. through. Cause I, I remember there being an issue with getting the bail together. Oh, uh, you know, uh, monstrous issues, you know, for, as you said, for years now. And so, but you know, he's, he's been struggling against that. Uh, you know, put up just a formidable fight that whole time, you know, and so he's continuing to fight uh, as, 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 as we speak, you know, so, so that trial just started. So, um, and, and yeah, that's, that's a part of it as well. We, we did an interview uh, with Dr. Stewart for about the people and that will be included in our next installment, which will be, you know, a full uh, love, not fear, uh, installment which will you know include the the dr stewart discussions and of course anything that comes out of uh this ongoing trial now we're, we're going to do our best to, yeah. to cover that as well I, I see we have another voice i want to bring in but before that i just want to say it's just mind-boggling to listen to all of these examples of the badges and incidents of slavery that go beyond the prison walls you're talking about a brother who's having his eighth his sixth amendment violated to the nth degree, four years without trial, he's finally getting four years in Rikers Island, and that's about the average out there, right? Where the Sixth Amendment rights are being violated. And then you got, we talked about the disenfranchisement that comes afterwards. We talked about the prison, school to prison pipeline. We talked about mass incarceration, criminalization, uh, even, you know, the poverty that is created and manufactured to keep us at a certain level. It's just all mind boggling to think that this is all allowed through a constitutional amendment that takes away your humanity and your rights by being convicted of any crime. Amazing. Let's go ahead and bring this other voice in. Uh, A762, you're on with Abolition Today. 
Oh, can you hear me well? Can you all hear me? Yes. 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 Hello, Corinne. Hi, how are you guys? Um, I'm here to speak to the, the sir, the gentleman. Hi, I'm Corinne. I have a quick question Brother for Jimmy you, sir. Because Ms. Yes, Muthi Keane. Thank you, for, thank you, Max. Um, sir, Mr. Muthi Keane, can you hear me? Oh, I have a question. Yes, yeah, just, just Brother Jaleel. That's good. Okay, Brother Jamil, right. my name is Karen. Mm. My question for you, because I live in Vermont, which is right across the pond from Lake Champlain, and then there's New York. And, you know, New York is one of a, it's an interesting state because I see a lot of African-Americans there that just continuously are what Mar- the Honorable Marcus Garvey would say, continuously dishonoring themselves, showing no deposition for that higher life so they can be abundantly blessed. And I wanted to know from you, as someone who spent 50 years as, an enslaved person by law, and I wanted to know if ignorance is really is our enemy. And do you believe that the ignorance that is plaguing the prison system and maybe plaguing this movement is that people fail to um, what was my point? They fail to understand. Oh my God! This is my beautiful question. Ah, no. Okay, sorry. My the question is: Do you think take, that they fail to understand? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> do they fail to understand? Um, themselves, the knowledge of themselves, mm, okay. or the knowledge that the okay. white man has had for years okay. that has caused them to be rulers and leaders in this world. Do you think that's what's preventing us? Um, because I but, know for uh, the we did it, it was we struggled to have black people see it, you know, with Black Lives Matter, with First Prop 5, but they finally saw it. So they finally gained the knowledge of themselves. But then they, we continuously now with our reparation movements and what we're trying to do to continue to redeem Vermonters is that they're failing to understand the knowledge that the white man and the white woman has for years that has caused them to be rulers and leaders. And I wanted to know, do you think that's the struggle that is plaguing our incarcerated citizens? And do you think mm-hmm. that um, once they gain that knowledge, which is our weapon, um, that's why mm-hmm. abolition today is a weapon, I prefer a bow and arrow, but abolition today is a weapon to fight it. So I wanted to know if that was my question. It's heavy thank you, thank and kind of the, all over the place, but I hope you get it. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I do get it very much. Uh, thank you for the question, Corinne. It's, it's a very good question. It's a poignant question to the entire issue that we're dealing with. One of the things that we have to understand in terms of our people and the conditions that they're in today is that at, at, at the course of our having negotiated a system of white supremacy at some point in time, or during the course of our negotiated white supremacy, they didn't want us to read. They didn't want us to read. It was illegal. It was illegal. It was against the law to teach a black person to read, right? And this is the reason why Carter G. Wilson wrote the book, right, The Miseducation of the Negro. We continue to be miseducated, mm-hmm. right? And therefore, by virtue of our miseducation, we don't understand the nature of our oppression. We don't understand the nature of this system of white supremacy, right, and capitalist imperialism. And so, yes, it's a question of ignorance. But ignorance is not knowing. Right? Let's understand that also. Right? Ignorance is not knowing. And that does not mean it has to always be that way. Right? And so for us, the process which we engaged in is a process of educating our people to the struggle, educating our people to what it means to be free. There was a track that he just read uh, uh, that people said, uh, and the track says, we don't know how to be free. Of course you don't because you have never been free. Right? You don't understand the system of being free. For 400 years, you have never been free. So how would you know how to be free? And so this is the course of, the, of our struggle, to decolonize our minds, decolonize our thinking, right? to start thinking as a free person. This is what I did while I was inside. 
for 50 years. I continue to think of myself as a free person and therefore would refuse to work in an industry where they're going to exploit my labor because I understood that they tried to treat me as a slave, and I fought back. Many times I went into solitary confinement because I was fighting back, but I rejected uh, the conditions for which I, they tried to uh, repute upon me, on you, upon me and, and, and others, right? And so for us, it is a question of re-educating ourselves. Now, let me go back and just add one more point that a lot of people don't know and don't understand. Right? Why are we being treated this way? One reason why we treat this way is because they understand our history, what well, we don't understand. Like they understood um, that who created the pyramid, who created the sphinx, who created mathematics, who created geometry, who created astrology, who created astronomy, right? Black people, African people, they know that, right? We don't know it. And they took that away from us. They denied us our, our history. They denied us of who we are as a people or who we, or who we have been. Who, who was the, the richest man in, in, on the planet? Master Musa, right? They don't teach that in school, right? Who created a great uh, uh, civilization, Timbuktu, and, and, and Ghana, right? Uh, the various uh, uh, civilization we have in, in, uh, on, on this planet, right? Who are the people that migrated out of Africa to populate the world? They don't teach us that. So, yes, yes, we are ignorant. We're ignorant to our history and ignorant who we are, our own ancestry, right, as a people, our own legacy of resistance in this country, right? And so they keep us that way. They want to keep us that way because they continue to exploit us. They can't exploit, they cannot exploit an intellectual person. They can't exploit a person who understands the system. Right? But those who don't understand the system, yes, they will continue to exploit them. And this is the reason why we have to school the prison pipeline, right? This is deliberate. It's intentional to keep us ignorant. Right? They keep us poverty-stricken so they continue to exploit us as they had for 400 years as slaves, slaves of the state. And so, yes, my dear sister, uh, it is a question of uh, teaching our people uh, 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 history that they, have not, that they have been denied, right? Not only have they been denied, but they have been uh, uh, murdered for trying to learn that history and try to be exemplary of that history, exemplary of that history. Uh, 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 to propagate that history and to teach it. And, and listen, when I was inside, I was teaching black history. At one point in time, they put me in isolation for four months uh, because I was teaching about the Black Panther Party. What's the lesson there? Like, I had these uh, the street tribes in my class. This is a full black history class, a full class. And I went from 1861 to 1966. And when I got to 1966, they shut the program down, right, and put me in the box. And I was teaching uh, these individuals to become soldiers. Yeah, you damn right I was. <laughs> yeah, you damn right I was. Right? Because they want to continue to keep them as mentally ignorant and gangs. Right? A, a mental, a, a, a mental dysfunctional individuals. That's what they want to keep. So they can keep coming back to the system, the recidivism. And I'm trying to teach them to become liberators, emancipators, and abolitionists. That's who we all need to become. We need to become emancipators. We must become abolitionists, and we must become liberators. But as I wrote my book, we are our own liberators. If we don't liberate ourselves, no one else will. All right? And so that's the golden objective. <laughs> kind of what we, we have doing. to raise the consciousness of our people. Mm-hmm. We have to raise the consciousness of our people and, and, and build, build outward for what they have been taught. They have been taught to hate themselves. That's what they've been taught. And Malcolm X, Malcolm X uh, in, 18, uh, no, excuse me, in 1964, right, in one of his speeches, he asked the question, who taught you Who taught to, hate, you to hate yourself? Huh? Huh? That is the question. And when we come to the answer to that question, then we know what we need to do. 
or we divorce ourselves from a system that despises our very existence. Despise our very existence. If they can't exploit us, they don't want us around. That's the reality um, of the situation. And we need to be we need to be upfront with and saying that. But to everyone who wants to hear who wants to listen, who wants to be free. Right? You can't be free with a close mentality. You can't be free with a slave mentality. Alright? So we have to we have to build emancipators, we have to build abolitionists, we have to build liberators. That is the golden objective of our struggle. I personally I believe it's gonna take us longer to get out of the slave mentality than it will for us to get out of slavery. Um, very much like the Egyptians, you know, uh, or when, when they had the Hebrews in slavery and then they left, took 40 years. And I remember that all of those who still had that slave mentality had to die off before they could see the promised land. I don't see us losing that mentality completely for two or three generations. It's been embedded in us for so long, but we can end slavery before then. At least that's the dream. Um, I want to play can, one we more. Can, tr- we can let me, let me make this one, one last one last point uh, for Sister Queen, right? Uh, I ask you to do one thing and one thing only: go back and study the 1492 doctrine, the the the, the, the papal the papal bull doctrine of discovery. Of discovery. Doctrine of discovery of 1492, right? And when you learn and understand the doctrine of discovery of 1492, and then compare that. Compare that to the Monroe Doctrine, right, the Monroe Doctrine of today, right? You can find the parallels between the two and how they had intentionally, intentionally sought out people of color to exploit them. And if they don't uh, adhere to their doctrine of white supremacy, to murder them, right? That's the Doctrine of Discovery, written by uh, Pope Nicholas VI in 1492, right? Go study that. Please go study that. You tell anybody you know, go study that. So if you don't understand that, then you don't understand how they were able to conquer this planet or, uh, with, the, with the conditioning of murdering murdering people of color, from the Incas to the Mayas uh, to the uh, Aztecs to the Tainos to the Arawaks to the enslavement of African people. This was deliberate. All right. Um, a good place to start would be Mark Charles and Sung Chan Ra's book, Unsettling Truths, The Ongoing Dehumanizing mm-hmm. Legacy of the Doctrine of Discovery. Uh, he's been on yes. our program multiple times, author that book, as well yes. as running for president. That's a real good place to yes. start if you look for information about the Doctrine of Discovery and how it relates. And that brother is also a slavery abolitionist as well. Um, thank you, Corinne. I uh, appreciate the question. But I, I want to get into one more track. And then when I come back, I have a question that I want to ask Brother Jaleel. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. Today our guest is Jaleel Montekin, and we will be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition. Listen, Abolition. May, I, may I just start by reading the relevant part of the 13th, the 13th Amendment and get you to, to explain why it has been such a, such a sort of a misnomer. So it says, in part, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Um, uh, Khalil Mohammed, I had never understood that phrase and how it perverted, in fact, the, the cause of banning slavery in the United States. Well, the 13th Amendment, as you just read, uh, has almost universally been understood 
as the legislation that fundamentally ended 250 years of slavery. And therefore, the uh, slavery loophole, which is the clause for punishment as a crime, has never really gotten the amount of scholarly um, or legal uh, attention that it deserved. But in fact, it was, was activated literally overnight, within months of the end of the Civil War, the former Confederate states, as they were going through a process of reconstruction, turned to new criminal statutes in order to re-enslave that population of African Americans. And so it's had incredible utility in the American political economy, uh, both in the South and across the nation. GC. You know, you know. This is not for the cowards. It's not for the Uncle Tom. But if you know what's going on, you'll understand. And now the bill is here My people robbed y'all Took our culture Yet you say forget it Well let somebody rob your ass And you forget that shit You won't forget You didn't forget And if I can't say shit about slavery Then don't bring up Hitler So that's that shit you taught in slavery Forgive and forget them Well look I'm something like that Turner fight back And remember I got a different agenda Look I'm young Not scared No fear Don't care No hope in my blood Don't bring that ass around here I'm here to wake up lions in the jungle and let them know too that if they catch you lurking, bite that ass round here. At the bottoms where they got us in this squalor, they don't give a fuck about you and me. Now that I promise, and I don't know how much more you need to see to recognize that they're your enemies. Stevie Wonder can spot it. <laughs> Only cowards be quiet, cause they scared of these tyrants. Y'all care too much about dying. Well in this war, you might just have to give your life. Cause freedom ain't free, they say it's priceless, the same way your life is. Bull Connor, racist cracker, heartless bastard, sticking dogs and hoes in my brother's back when King Marston Selma. And them racist police remained in the system, got rid of Connor, but the whites who rode with Connor remained in the system. Would hate you and tell you, to your face you a nigga. Try to spit on your grave or put a pistol to your temple. And now you wonder why police today keep getting off. Cause shit them racist back then, now they run judicial systems. Catch up, peep game. Ain't changed, didn't love us then, don't love us or respect us today And now I'm racist and I'm violent cause abuse I won't take it It's crazy how you turn the victims to the ones people blame But nah, no, I swear that now this is a different day Say we young and fearless, act up and we'll meet you after the case We ain't never lived, so look to give our lives, it ain't the thing I would rather die than live my life a ass-kissing slave And at the bottoms where they got us in the squalor They don't give a fuck about you and me Now that I promise And I don't know how much more you need to see To recognize that they're your enemies Ray Charles to spot it Only cowards be quiet Cause they scared of these tyrants Y'all care too much about dying Well in this war you might just have to give your life Cause freedom ain't right, free, they say it's priceless the same way your life is And what happened to feel this black man, my brother's been lacking I see too many pretty boys who really bout that action And sisters died, place their lives on the line Not for us in modern days to sit around like shit ain't never happened You think that you not a slave The little money that you got to them is pocket change And you ain't nothing but a privileged house nigga As long as you hush when master say not to say a thing Respect for me, you'll never gain I'm rolling with the soldiers, pack too thick like next I ride with only lions, but we kings outside the jungle Most of us came from nothing, so we know about the struggle This fighting shit ain't new to us, came up like this 
the youngins, we got heart. That's just how we are. Just don't get us started. I don't rock with my uncle Tom. That boy, he recovered. It's been time for a revolution. Say we just been sleeping. I'm just holding arms with all the brothers who do more than marching. Let's go. At the bottoms where they got us. In the squalor, they don't give a fuck about you and me. Now that I promise. And I don't know how much more you need to see. To recognize that they're your enemies. But I hope by now you got it. Only cowards be quiet. Abolition. Abolition. Welcome back to Abolition Today, mm-hmm. abolitiontoday.com with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan. Four. This evening's guest is Jalil Muntakim. Uh, you just heard Khalil Gibran Muhammad on the 13th Amendment, and that was followed up by Golden Child, Open Enemies. So, Max, I want to pass to you first, because going into the song, you said you had a question that you wanted to ask, so I'll pass to you first. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I want to give our guest an opportunity to speak on what he heard. Uh, My question is very simple. On a few occasions tonight, and when we first had our our discussion prior to the program, uh, you pointed out penal slavery is what we are fighting against. And throughout this program, uh, we have had uh, discussions on things that extend far beyond just the penal system itself, including the, all the way up to the 13th Amendment. Uh, is there any particular reason why you choose to put penal prior to slavery? Uh, yes. Uh, I want to make a distinction between any other form of slavery, right, and and, and, and be uh, uh, true to the law itself, what the law says. The law says that people are convicted of a crime a duly convicted, uh, and I don't know what duly means, but duly convicted of a crime uh, will be placed in a system of involuntary servitude and slavery. So it's important for us to mm-hmm. make that kind of distinction. Uh, also, the question of mass incarceration. Again, as I made mentioned earlier, uh, that the uh, international jurors have found the United States guilty, guilty of the charge of mass incarceration. So therefore, for me, uh, my thinking is that for us to challenge the system of genocide, the system of mass incarceration, uh, it, it would be uh, prudent uh, for us to fight for the ending of penal slavery. Because if we end penal slavery, we end the incentive for mass incarceration. Okay, and so for me, that seems a logical process for which we can engage in uh, 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 and fight for our own liberation and independence uh, by freeing our people from a system of a mass incarceration, freeing our people from a system of penal slavery. And when we do so, we inherit we inherit of, of the ideals of that of Harriet Tubman, the ideals of that of Frederick Douglass, the ideas of that of John Brown, right, and our struggle against chattel slavery. So we're basically fighting the same type of systems, systems, although they've been modernized or modernity has played its role in the processes, there's still, no doubt about it, it's still slavery, and no other way they can cut it. And so, and the law says it's still slavery. So it's not what Jalil says. It's not what 134 says. I work for an organization called Citizen Action. I'm the special project coordinator for Citizen Action. That gives me, that allowed me to have the charge of fighting for uh, this issue. The two bills that we have pending in New York State, uh, the bills uh, will, end, will effectively end penal slavery in the United States. One of the bills called No Slavery in New York Act, and that's Senate Bill 225, and it was uh, presented by uh, a uh, senator, uh, Delmore Myrie. Right. The other bill is called Fair and Opportunities for Incarcerated Workers Act. 
and that was presented as a number A3412, and it was presented uh, to the state legislature by Harvey Epstein or Epstein. And so for me, it was extremely important to have these bills enacted into law. And we have these bills enacted into the law, then we in fact effectively change this entire dynamic of crime and punishment in this country. Why I say crime and punishment? Because part of the punishment is penal slavery, right? So we will remove this idea, this kind of form of punishment, right? We were sent to prison. People were sent to prison as punishment. They weren't sent to prison to be, or if I understand it, we weren't sent to prison to be slaves, right? We were sent to prison to remove us from social order, from society, right, until we change our behavior, change our attitude, change our, our understanding of our relationship to social order. Right, allegedly, that's what what they uh, but that's that's their allegation in terms of why they send a preacher to prison. Uh, but for us, it's important that we know that they're sending people into slavery. Okay, and so this is why I continue to use the word penal slavery uh, to make that kind of distinction. So you're describing the punishment of offenders as penal, and not just the buildings, right? You're not just focused on the buildings; you're saying the whole punishment system. And related as we relates to the legal system, right? Hey, absolutely, because the law says we're sending people into penal slavery. The law says that mm-hmm. once a person is convicted and sent to, to a penitentiary, that they have then become a slave of the state. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, and it so doesn't let's, say that. Let's, let's, it says you just have to be con- duly convicted. It doesn't say anything about having to be. A- oh, you're absolutely correct. Thank you for that correction. You're absolutely correct. Duly convicted, right? And then you become a slave of, of the state. Right, uh, your civil rights have been uh, uh, um, removed, uh, have mm-hmm. been uh, amended, uh, have been, uh, uh, and, and so therefore uh, you become actually you become civilly dead, right? Right. Uh, and so that's that, that, and that is the issue that we that we are uh, confronting. Uh, uh, how do you make a person uh, who has you know a breathing, sentient human being, right, and then you say that they are, they no longer exist? Uh, they should not be no, no longer considered a, 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 a full human person, despite what they have made as a crime or the, the violation they may have committed uh, uh, or going uh, uh, out of as a result of their own ignorance, right? Uh, ignorance that they, they have been right. taught to become. And so for us, so we're, we're in, I was going to say we're in absolute agreement. The issue is if we just make it seem as though that the person has to be in prison. There are many people that are enslaved right now that have never been inside a jail cell. They, you know, got arrested, they got bailed out, they went to court, got probation. They're still enslaved. They've never been to prison. So this, this is why... To the exception. Right. And Max, you, you tweeted the other day, the 13th Amendment does not require you to be in prison to be subject to the slavery and voluntary servitude exception clause. It only requires you to be duly convicted. And that's, that's, that's why, oh, I should say, if, if, if we use the word saying penal slavery, then it makes people think that it's only talking about those in prison when we know that it goes well beyond that with the fines and the fees, the Eighth Amendment, Sixth Amendment, Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, Thirteenth, Fourteenth, Fifteenth Amendment, uh, violations of the Constitution that happen to people who have never actually been inside a prison. Um, next week, we're actually going to do a discussion on the four narratives that are vying for control over what it is 
we are actually facing. And there are four separate narratives, and they're not of uh, like mine. We don't agree on everything. Those four narratives are prison abolitionists, prison slavery abolitionists, criminal justice uh, reformists, and uh, slavery abolitionists. So those are the four different narratives that we hear from various uh, groups and organizations. And as I said, they don't always sit hand in hand. And next week, we're going to break them down. Uh, I've interviewed people from all of those different ideologies over the years. And I feel like we can really uh, kind of show people the differences, albeit small or large. Uh, Brother Jaleel, we are coming up on 20 minutes towards the end of the program. And what I'd like to do is give you a chance to speak directly to our artist audience tell them anything you want them to know, send them in any direction you want to send them to, point out any websites. I know that you uh, are involved with the Jericho movement. You're involved with the In the Spirit of Mandela. If there's websites for those that you want them to go to, please let us know. Okay, okay thank, you. thank you for <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yes, in, in fact, I, I just want to let people know, particularly those who live in New York State, right, those who live in New York State, I'm asking you, Specifically, to contact your state legislator, uh, both in the Senate and also in the Assembly, and demand demand that they support, sign onto, and support the No Slavery mm-hmm. Act in New York, uh, No Slavery in New York Act, as uh, Senate Bill Two Two Five, and the uh, Fair and Opportunity for Incarcerated Workers Act Thirty Four Twelve. Contact your legislator, your state legislator, in the Assembly or in the Senate, and demand that they. Uh, sign onto these bills and endorse these two bills. Second of all, I would like to say this: uh, as a result of the people's a result of the uh, International Tribunal and the People's Senate, uh, we are moving towards uh, we'll move towards the People's Senate. As Tag has made mention, you can go to People's Senate uh, uh, dot org and learn more about that. I need for you to get involved and engage with the People's Senate, uh, uh, and that's extremely important because it, it, it will change uh, the way that we're being governed. In this country, you know, uh, one thing that we a lot of people do not understand is, is this here. Uh, we believe that we live in a democracy, right? But actually, we live in a plutocracy. The rich rules. There are 740 billionaires in the United States. 740 billionaires, and they have accumulated wealth of 6.9999 trillion dollars. They have accumulated wealth of all the wealth of Western Europe in the hands of 740 people. 740 billionaires in the United States, and a population of 330 million people. And they control this. this, this they control this, this country, right? And not only they control the country, they influence in the world, right? So we have to figure out ways how to govern ourselves. Also, keep in mind is this here, right? That the United States Supreme Court has determined that corporations are people. Corporations are people, and know that the United States is in fact a corporation, right? And so, if we understand the United States is a corporation, then their people is other corporations. So they function in behalf of other corporations. For the people and by the people, for them, means for the corporation, by the corporation. And so for us, it's extremely important that we understand that we live in a plutocracy and not a democracy, and that it is necessary for us to re- restructure our relationship to this entity, the corporate government, the settler, uh, the settler of corporate nation, right? And in so doing so, we began to empower our people in their understanding that this the government does not function in our best behalf. It functions in the behalf of the corporate interests, right? And so when we know that, then we know that we need to build something new, something different. And that's what the People's Senate is about. It's about building something new that we are governing ourselves 
for ourselves, people for people, and not people for corporations or corporations for corporations. So that's extremely important. So go to spiritmandela.org, right, and, slash, and, and, and tap over to People Center and learn about the People Center. Lastly, I talk about my book, uh, and I have a, a selfish, a selfish plug. That's right. Uh, plug, I, plug the book, I, brother. Plug the book. Plug, plug. That's right. Selfish plug. Uh, the book is called "We Are Our Own Liberators." We are our own liberators, and if people want to purchase this book. They can get it from blackdragonmme.com. Go to blackdragonmme.com and get the book. When you get the book, get a study, establish a study group. Right, study the book along with others, right? Because this is the way you'll get the best out of the book. The book was written over 20 years ago. I wrote this book over 20 years ago, and it still resonates with people today. So something I was thinking about 20 years ago has finally come to fruition or come to a, what it calls zeitgeist, right? The right time at the right, the right place at the right time, right? And so this book now is, in my thinking, uh, is carrying our movement. Hopefully, we can carry our movement forward in terms of what we talk about building decolonization programs. As mentioned in the book, right, and establishing what are called Front for Liberation New Africa, our new African nation. Front for Liberation New African nation. I'm moving towards building our own nationhood, right? I identify myself as a new African, right? New African revolutionary Muslim, right? That's how I identify myself. Now I'm asking you, how do you identify yourself, right? Are you a colored person? Are you a Negro? Or, or are you a black person? How do you identify yourself? What is your nation? Are you a citizen? And, and or re- recognize yourself as being a, a, a an American. Are you American? Right. We have to, those are issues that we have to resolve in terms of our struggle going forward. And so for me and for those, those of us who identify as identified, uh, not as an American. Uh, uh, um, Al Shabazz, Malcolm X once says, "No, I'm not an American. I'm one of the 300 uh, 30 million people who've been victimized by America." Right. That's true. That is a fact. Right? And so we've been called every name under the book by others. When are we going to identify ourselves? Right? So I identify myself as a new African, and, and we're moving towards the, 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 the organizing of ourselves into a, a, a liberated nation. Right? Uh, and so that's the goal objective moving forward. So if you can, uh, get the book, uh, We Are Own Liberators. If you cannot get the book, at least go to the website, spiritofmandela.org. SpiritMandela.org and tab over to People Senate and help us build uh, the People Senate. Uh, thank you. Wow. Thank you, thank uh, you Brother Jimmy. I want to say uh, we appreciate you joining us here this evening. Uh, myself and you, Steph, uh, I believe I speak for us both. Uh, thank you for your wisdom and understanding and your dedication to your people, to our people moving forward and solving these problems that we face every single day. And we hope to hear more from you as well as from 13th Forward. If you want to support 13th Forward, go to 13thforward.com. That's 13, the number, 13th, forward.com. And uh, do what you can to support these three bills, I believe, that are going through. Uh, Bill S225 is also on the list. Um, And S4168. 3412, exactly. So there's three different bills. Right. We're right. looking forward right. to, uh, as you said, New York being the eighth, <laughs> or uh, at least among those in this new, uh, what we call the new breed uh, of states that yes. are moving up. Because uh, for the past few years, we brought them all in here. Well, you yes, were going to say, brother? 
Yeah, I'm doing okay here in Rochester. We we are. I'm, I'm working. I'm trying to work with the uh, the family, the family. No, what is it called? It's called the uh, uh, Freddie Douglas uh, Family Institute, right? And I'm trying to get them to uh, help us support this this campaign. Uh, I think that we are going to have, be able to have a proclamation from the uh, city government here uh, uh, declaring that Rochester is an anti-Pino slavery city. And if that can be done, then that will support uh, our campaign going across the state and also going across the country. Right. Shout out to Brother Kenneth B. Morris Jr., who is the founder of that organization. He's also been a guest on our program and is himself a slavery abolitionist following in his ancestors' footsteps. Uh, so, yes, let's hope that, he, that they do that. That is awesome. All right. Uh, we are coming up on our last segment, which is our Bridging the Gap segment. Uh, and we have a powerful uh, Bridging the Gap segment this week for you, as always, where we bring the voices of our ancestors back to life for a new generation. I want to thank Brother Tag and Corinne for calling, our listeners for always listening in. Uh, you, Brother Yusuf, because today you produce mo- most of today's uh, program. So uh, good job. Thank you very much thank for you. that, man. Thank you. And, uh, thank you. And I want to thank the both of you for having me uh, on, on your program today. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, and, again, I, I'm not too much of a public speaker, but I got a lot of information to tell. We're going to bring you back. You, you, you have to come back. That's the only promise I ask of you, brother, oh, that you oh, come back. So he's definitely going to come back. He's going to celebrate here on the program, too. We are are going to celebrate, no doubt about it. All right. All right. Peace, my brother. Waalaikum salam. Ramadan Mubarak, brother. Indeed, brother. All right. Ramadan Kareem. Brother Yusuf, you want to go ahead and thank our sponsors and partners for this week? Yes. Definitely much, much, much thanks to Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the IMWE Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Samer Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Abolished Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Abolition Today, and our Facebook page, Abolition Today, for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. Abolition Today is available on all major podcast platforms and at abolitiontoday.org. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Abolition Today, the number one. And now we're on also Amazon follow- Music. Ooh, Amazon right. Music! Oh, that's huge! That's mm-hmm. huge! I can't find the I can't find the clap uh, audio, but you all can imagine that we're clapping about that right now. Follow the ASNN at uh, at In the Exception. That's on Twitter. No, Instagram ASNN is AbolishSlavery.us. AbolishSlavery.us. Well, I was, I was given the other handy. Yeah, I was given the <laughs> oh. other handles first. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, at in the exception is Twitter and Instagram. The website is AbolishSlavery.us, and it's Abolish Slavery National Network on Facebook. So, our bridging the gap for today, we have, and I have to speed through it so uh, we can get it. This week's Bridging the Gap will be an excerpt from Frederick Douglass's speech to the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society delivered in April 1865. It's called What the Black Man Wants, and that will be followed by Stevie Wonder featuring Rhapsody, Corday, Chica, and Busta Rhymes. Can't put it in the hands of feet. We'll be back next Sunday, April 2nd, God willing, with another master class on slavery abolition. So until next week, Think about abolition today.
peace and blessings be upon you all. Peace. Abolition. Abolition. What is freedom? It is the right to choose one's own employment. Certainly it means that, if it means anything. And when any individual or combination of individuals undertakes to decide for any man when he shall work, where he shall work, at what he shall work, and for what he shall work, he or they practically reduce him to slavery. He is a slave. That I understand general banks to do, to determine for the so-called freedmen when and where and at what and for how much he shall work, when he shall be punished, and by whom punished. It is absolute slavery. It defeats the beneficent intention of the government, if it has beneficent intentions, in regards to the freedom of our people. I have had but one idea for the last three years to present to the American people, and the phraseology in which I clothe it is the old abolition phraseology. I am for the immediate, unconditional, and universal enfranchisement of the black man in every state in the Union. Without this, his liberty is a mockery. Without this, you might as well almost retain the old name of slavery for his condition. For in fact, if he is not the slave of the individual master, he is the slave of society and holds his liberty as a privilege, not as a right. He is at the mercy of the mob and has no means of protecting himself. It may be objected, however, that this pressing of the Negro's right to suffrage is premature. Let us have slavery abolished, it may be said. Let us have labor organized, and then, in the natural course of events, the right of suffrage will be extended to the Negro. I do not agree with this. The constitution of the human mind is such that if it once disregards the conviction forced upon it by a revelation of truth, it requires the exercise of a higher power to produce the same conviction afterwards. The American people are now in tears. The Shenandoah has run blood, the best blood of the North. All around Richmond, the blood of New England and of the North has been shed. Of your sons, your brothers, and your fathers, we all feel in the existence of this rebellion that judgments terrible, widespread, far-reaching, overwhelming, are broad in the land, and we feel, in view of these judgments just now, a disposition to learn righteousness. This is the hour. Our streets are in mourning. Tears are falling at every fireside. And under the chastisement of this rebellion, we have almost come up to the point of conceding this great, this all-important right of suffrage. I fear that if we fail to do it now, if abolitionists fail to press it now, we may not see, for centuries to come, the same disposition that exists at this moment. Hence I say, now is the time to press this right. It may be asked, why do you want it? Some men have got along very well without it. Women have not this right. Shall we justify one wrong by another? This is the sufficient answer. Shall we at this moment justify the deprivation of the Negro of the right to vote because someone else is deprived of that privilege? I hold that women, as well as men, have the right to vote. 
and my heart and voice go with the movement to extend suffrage to women. But that question rests upon another basis than which our right rests. We may be asked, I say, why we want it. I will tell you why we want it. We want it because it is our right, first of all. No class of man can, without insulting their own nature, be content with any deprivation of their rights. We want it again as a means for educating our race. Men are so constituted that they derive their conviction of their own possibilities, largely by the estimate formed of them by others. If nothing is expected of a people, that people will find it difficult to contradict that expectation. By depriving us of suffrage, you affirm our incapacity to form an intelligent judgment respecting public men and public measures. You declare before the world that we are unfit to exercise the elective franchise, and by this means, lead us to undervalue ourselves, to put a low estimate upon ourselves, and to feel that we have no possibilities like other men. Again, I want the elective franchise for one as a colored man, because ours is a peculiar government, based upon a peculiar idea, and that idea is universal suffrage. If I were in a monarchical government, or an autocratic or aristocratic government, where the few bore rule and the many were subject, there would be no special stigma resting upon me because I did not exercise the elective franchise. It would do me no great violence. Mingling with the mass, I should partake of the strength of the mass. I should be supported by the mass, and I should have the same incentives to endeavor with the mass of my fellow men. It would be no particular burden, no particular deprivation. But here, where universal suffrage is the rule, where that is the fundamental idea of the government, to rule us out is to make us an exception, to brand us with the stigma of inferiority, and to invite to our heads the missiles of those about us. Therefore, I want the franchise for the black man. Don't repeat her. Many years a slave took notes from the Peter. You should marvel at the fighting. Feel like a leader. Apologize. You denied my people. Made our death legal. We all paralegal. Gotta defend ourselves when the laws ain't equal. Cops ain't lethal. Death in cathedrals. Bang, bang, boogie. You can die where anybody's All right, sometimes we gotta find our creative. I defeated Father Time. Was raised by Mother Nature in the project tenement walls. Sudden withdrawal. The true rebel. It's easy to spot the government flaws. Mass confusion. People in power commit collusion. Indoctrinated students. I'm the leader of the movement. Take lifetime. Trying to duck the school to prison pipeline. Disenfranchised. Amazing I'm in my right mind. Create change. Survive. Struggle to maintain. So many lives within the campaign. A damn shame. I'm thinking how will we survive when the freedom that we have the facade. Yeah. Hey, 
talking no more. We get into it. Can't put it in the hands of fate. That's how we do it. Now let me go and get with all of my people. You know I have to get that are showing sacrifices like my brother Colin Kaepernick. Opportunities that I get to talk. You know I have to spit. Rihanna Taylor turning the grave. You know we have to get justice. Now stay in your place and still focus on the outcome of George Floyd's case. Why you out here doing a minimal? Everything about us still live by the principle. Can't put it in the hands of fate. Ain't nobody got time to wait. If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay, then just answer a few questions, and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off, and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. Are you a hands-on problem solver with a knack for mechanics? Join our team at Broom Heating and Air. We're currently hiring service technicians and installers. No HVAC experience? No problem. We offer training for the right candidates. If you or someone you know has a mechanical background, you can take your career to the next level with Broom Heating and Air. Enjoy competitive benefits, growth opportunities, and a close-knit family work environment. Apply today at broomheating.com careers. That's broomheating.com careers. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.